Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Look at what the Lord says to them, verse 17. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And so will again, and so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I want to tell you about one dark time in history when God preserved a remnant for himself. And I want to take you to the Stalinist era, 1930s through to the other side of the 50s, right through to the 70s. There was a specific man there called Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld, and I'm going to call him Kornfeld because I don't have, then I don't have to say Nikolaevich every two minutes. So this man was called Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld. He was a proud, self-righteous Jewish doctor. And he was a political prisoner in one of Stalin's work prisons, or gulags, in the 50s. And because he was a medical doctor, he was treated much better than the rest of the average prisoners there. Because as a doctor, he treated both the prisoners and the wardens the officials. And so they looked after him because you didn't want to mistreat a doctor who was going to treat you later. But through all this, Kornfeld was filled with hate because he considered himself innocent of all crime. He was a political prisoner. He had spoken out about injustice and he had landed in the Gulag. And he would gladly have killed his persecutors. He'd even worked out a technique whereby when they were injured, he would sew them back together again, but he would not join the veins properly together again so that they would bleed to death internally. And praise the Lord, he never actually implemented it, but he had it all planned. Because something happened to him. In that gulag, in the middle of all that pain and suffering, where people would be out for hours and hours in very harsh conditions, especially in the Siberian climate, a Christian, a nameless Christian. We don't even know who it was. This Christian man testified to Kornfeld. He was a patient of Kornfeld and he testified to him of his own faith in the Lord Jesus. And through that testimony, the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, saved Dr. Kornfeld. And immediately he started to live out his new faith. The very next day, he started to live out his faith by praying for his guards, instead of hating them, by praying for them, and by asking the Lord to forgive the hate which was still in him at times. And he deliberately stopped signing the orders which sent prisoners down to the torture cells where they invariably died. He said, I will not sign those anymore. And then one morning, he noted an orderly, as he was doing his rounds in the hospital, he noted an orderly who was stealing food from one of the patients who was dying. And he reported him to the authorities. That was the same as signing his own death warrant. Because invariably the 
orderly would be in prison for three days because that was the charge for stealing from prisoners. Prison for three days. And then he would be released and he would try and kill Kornfeld. And so Kornfeld knew that when he reported this man. One night in the ward as he was doing his rounds, he started speaking to a seriously ill patient. And this man was drifting in and out of consciousness. But he just felt the urge to sit down next to this man and to start speaking about his own life and what Jesus had done for him. And he just carried on speaking, whether the man was conscious or not. He just carried on speaking to this man. And without his knowledge, this patient heard these words. And the Holy Spirit used those words and he converted that patient on that hospital bed. Kornfeld didn't know that. Early the next morning, they found Kornfeld in his room because he didn't come for duty. And his skull had been smashed and shattered by a plasterer's mallet. They didn't need to know who it was. They knew. And it was the end of Kornfeld. And yet it wasn't the end, you see. There was a remnant there. Kornfeld's witness now lived on through the life and the testimony and the witness of that patient who survived. And his name? Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He received the Nobel Prize in 1970 for literature, for exposing the horrors of the Gulag to the whole Western world. And they attribute this man's writings to the start of the downfall of that whole um, that whole era. He exposed them. And in his writings, he really urges and speaks to believers to stand strong in their faith. This is what he says about the moment of his conversion. This is what he wrote later. He said, this is what I said to my heart. God of the universe, I believe again. Though I renounced you, you were with me. And the thought that really God used in his heart was this. He he wrote later about that moment of conversion. This is what he wrote. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line dividing good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but the line of good and evil passes right through every human heart. And that's the thought that the Holy Spirit used in it to convert him. You see, even in that gulag, God preserved a remnant to take that message out and people were saved. And the exact thing here in this passage of Malachi that we've just been reading this morning, even though the nation was saying all kinds of things against God, they were saying, God, you've forgotten about us. Look at the nations around us. They are prospering. What are you doing for us, Lord? They were coming before the Lord with sacrifices which were empty because they didn't come from their hearts. They were bringing the Lord what they could spare, not what God wanted from them. They were hypocritical in their worship of the Lord. This was a nation who was intermarrying with heathens, as we've looked at this passage, contrary to the Lord's command to keep themselves pure to the covenant people. This was a nation who was divorcing their own wives to marry heathen wives. This was a nation who was openly rebelling against God and twisting the truth to suit their own ends. And among them, the Lord preserves a faithful 
remnant. And that's what this phrase is all about in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. You see, this might not necessarily have been a different group to those who had done wrong before the Lord, but this was a group who responded to the rebuke from the prophet and from the Lord to change their ways. And it could have been faithful ones who were there. We're not told. We are just told that they feared the Lord. And so they start to speak to each other. And the content of their speaking, they weren't speaking about the Persian World Cup, by the way. They weren't speaking about how self-righteous they were and how evil those around, you know, how good we are. Look at all these evil people surrounding us. That wasn't the content of their talk. And I'll come to why I say that now. They weren't self-righteous in their talk. They weren't standing there in shock and horror looking at what everyone else was doing while they were so good. No, no. They were encouraging each other to have a right attitude before God. They were speaking to each other. What proof have I for saying that? Well, look at the Lord's reaction to them. What does the Lord do? Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it. So now we can, in, we can see what they were talking about. Because why would God listen to empty talk? There was a lot of empty talk happening in the nation of Israel. All kinds of empty talk. And the Lord was turning his ear from them. But this talk he listened to. You see, this was a, this was talk done in humility before him. They wanted to urge each other back to repentance before the Lord. And yes, they might have done wrong. Yes, they might have come with false intentions to their worship before the Lord. Yes, they might have brought wrong sacrifices. And yes, they might even have been involved in idol worship themselves. But now they wanted to rectify before God and make right again their attitude before Him. And so they come before the Lord and they ask for forgiveness. The Lord gives attention to them. And in the Hebrew, that literally is the Lord pricked up his ears. That's the word that's used. Like a horse that listens to the voice of its master. The Lord pricked up his ears. He heard them. He gave attention and then he heard them. And you'll notice there are two words he uses there. He gave attention to them and he heard them. Now that word heard is the word for acting on. The Lord heard and acted You see, God listens to the talk of a repentant and a humble heart. That is talk that glorifies Him. Talk that urges others on to also stand strong in the Lord. That is talk that the Lord listens to, that He hears. And what's the result? Look in your text. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem His name. Now, the Persians had a custom where if someone did good before the king or something really good in favor of the king, it would be written up in the book, the king's chronicles, in the book of good doings for the king. And when the king read these, he would then reward these people that had done good for him. But what was written in the Persian books was the person's name and the act of good towards the king, so that the king would be reminded. Where do we see that? Well, in Esther chapter chapter 2. Think of the, the story of Esther. Her uncle Mordecai 
he saved the king's life in, in Esther chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, when two eunuchs planned to kill the king. Mordecai overheard them speaking, reported it to the king, and that saved the king's life, because the king then arrested those eunuchs and put them to death. And his name was written up in the chronicles of the king. And then in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, the Lord causes the king to not be able to sleep one night, and so he calls, this seems to be what they did, he called for his chronicles to be brought before him. And as he listened to what people had done for him, he stopped at Mordecai, and he said, what have I done for that man? And the servant said, nothing, my Lord. And he said, well, let him be brought to me. I want to reward him. That was God's action at that time. Today, I suppose a parallel would be uh, when we put in nominations for the order of merit. People get remembered for what they've done. Or you get recommended for a knighthood. You know, the queen says, come before me, bow, and I'll tap you twice with a sword. And there you go, sir, or madam, or dame, or whatever they call them. Right? It's a human way of remembering the good that people have done. In Malachi's time, and especially in this book of remembrance, the only difference here was that it wasn't a written account, a physical written account, when he speaks about this book of remembrance. It was written before the Lord, before him. And what it indicates here is that before the Lord, the names of these righteous people were recorded. And the Lord would remember them and reward them. You see, it can't be speaking about their righteous acts recorded before the Lord because Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, men's righteous acts are as filthy rags before the Lord. The Lord's not impressed by righteous acts, but he is impressed by a right heart before him. And so their names are written up in this record before the Lord. You see, they feared the Lord and honoured his name, says our text. They had the right heart attitude. They said, here we stand, Lord, we want to do what's right before you. And like Abraham, they believed God and acted on that belief and they were accounted righteous before the Lord. I just want to stand still for a minute with this book of the Lord that is spoken about here. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the book. And you can go and see that in Exodus chapter 32, Psalm 69, Daniel 12. Very, uh, there are quite a few passages that speak about the book. And this is a place, and we don't know if it's a literal paper book or if it's a record of some kind, but we do know that the Lord keeps record of these names of those who are righteous before him. In the New Testament, it's referred to as the book of life. Philippians chapter 4, Revelation 3 and Revelation 20 speaks about the book of life that is open before the Lord. And so the main point here is, what God is saying here to them through the prophet is that no true believer will be forgotten if they are righteous before me. I will not forget them. I will take special note of them if they stand for me. You see, these people had said, Lord, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. Here we stand before this nation that is disobedient. We stand against the rest of this nation who want to turn their backs on you, Lord. We stand against our family. We stand against our friends. We have chosen this day to serve you, Lord, the true living and ever-loving God. And God says to them, I hear you. I hear you. And I will act. Their attitude was one of fearing the Lord and esteeming, holding high 
His name. Calvin put it like this. Forgetfulness of who God is easily creeps over us, which extinguishes the fear of God so that we start to take liberties with sin. I'm going to repeat that. It's really, really important. And you might have experienced this as well. Forgetfulness of who God is, I need to honor God for who He is, easily creeps over us when we're not looking, which extinguishes the fear of God so that we start to take liberties with sin. Do you see the result of forgetting who God is? It immediately comes out in liberties with sin. What about you this morning as you sit here, as we look at this passage of Malachi? Have you taken a clear and a strong stand for your faith before your friends, before your family, before society, before your colleagues, and if you're a sports person on the sports field? Have you taken a clear stand for the Lord? Here I stand. Are you part of this faithful remnant that Malachi is speaking about? Or are you perhaps part of those who once proclaimed faith, but now you are part of the fallen away? Look at this promise that the Lord makes to these people. It is a fantastic promise, verse 17. To those who are faithful, this is what the Lord says. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. What does he mean by they will be mine? I thought they are the Lord's. Yes, they are. But the Lord says in that day, when I come with judgment, I will, and the Hebrew here is literally, I will gather them to myself. They will be mine. Like a precious jewel, I will gather them to me and protect them. They are my prepared possessions, says our text. And your translation might say a peculiar treasure. Now some of us are a little bit more peculiar than others. That's not what this word means here. That word peculiar means a set apart, a special treasure. Alright? On that day it will be shown to all when the Lord gathers you with the rest that you are His prepared, His peculiar treasure. Do you take courage from that? When the Lord comes and He brings judgment on the world, He will gather you, if you're a believer here today, He will gather you to Himself on that day when all is coming loose around you. He will gather you to Himself if you're a believer and you are His. You will be His. You are His possession. You see, your value lies not in who you are, But your value lies in God's eyes and your relationship with Him. And God will prepare you for that day. It's God at work. And He will make a perfect work of you. You are His treasure. And yes, God is supposed to be our treasure, but you are His treasure too. And in that I take a lot of encouragement. Because I am a peculiar treasure at times. Philippians puts it like this. He who started the work in you, yes, will, will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. So when are you going to be made complete? At the day of Jesus Christ. That is the same day that Malachi is speaking about here. When Jesus Christ reappears, at that very moment, you will be made perfect. Not a minute before. 
You will be perfect then. You will be His prepared treasure. And He will do it. Campbell Morgan said it like this. He said, The present day may be man's day, but God's day lies ahead. It is coming. And we need to know what is going to happen on that day. On that day, it says our text, the Lord says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. You see, as believers, so often, and you just need to look at your own life, we come before the Lord and we want to do good for the Lord. We do. That's what we want to do. Lord, I want to serve you. And yet we do it so imperfectly, don't we? There's always things that happen. Or we don't do it quite right. Does that matter to the Lord? No. As long as we are following His principles, then we serve Him. And God takes that imperfect offering and He makes it perfect before Him. And so, yes, we do serve the Lord. God takes that service of ours and He turns it into something which is perfect for Him. Why? Because He loves us as His Son. It's a bit like, you might remember the days when um, your little children, they want to help you wash the car, right? And so you get the car out there, you get the buckets and everything, and they want to help you, and they get the, they get the cloth and they start washing away, but you know that you're going to have to go back and kind of fix that, because it's not quite right. But you tell them, hey, it's no good, just get away from this, you're not washing my car properly. No, you love them. And so you take that little gift and you make it perfect later, don't you? It's that first cup of coffee that your child makes for you. I know. Your eyes open immediately when you drink the first gulp because they put about six spoons of coffee in there. But do you... Do you Get them in front of you and give them a good old roasting about it. No. You accept it in love because of the intent that it was brought with. And then you perfect it later. You throw it out and start again. Okay? But that's exactly what the intent is here of that text. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. On that day when God comes with judgment on all nations, if you're a believer, God will take you and your imperfections and he will make you perfect. You will be his perfect treasure before him. And then he will take you from that time of judgment. He will preserve you and you will live through eternity with him. I haven't heard one Armenian, yet and I'll carry on preaching. You see, we have to endure because that is the promise from the Lord today. We have to endure. And yes, it might be extremely hard for us on this earth. And yes, you might have opposition because of your faith from your family and your friends and your sports team. And yes, you might look around you and you see the godless living apparently carefree and conscienceless lives before God. But there will come a day, says our text, and that is a fact, when that, those trumpets will sound, when the truth will be revealed that there are those whom the Lord accepts and those whom the Lord takes and who are his treasure. It will be that day. It's coming. And so our text says, thank you, and so our text says, take courage, endure, stand strong, through the prophet Malachi to us today. And then we get to verse 18 and he says, yes, everything might be all confused around you now. The nations are saying all kinds of things. Even our own nation, Israel, are saying you can sin and God doesn't mind and there's a whole lot of confusion about what does it mean to be right before God? He says, well, I will show you a way. So you will again distinguish 
between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. This is the nuts and bolts application of this text. How do we distinguish between the righteous and the wicked? You see, it's extremely black and white in Scripture. And people have said to us about Christianity, you Christians, you're just too black and white. Well, sometimes Christianity is black and white, and here's one of those places. How do we just distinguish between the righteous and the wicked? It's really simple. Look at this. The righteous are, here's the definition, one who serves God. And the wicked, one who does not serve God. There's a distinction, you see. Is there a third option? The text doesn't say so. You either serve God or you don't serve God. You're either righteous or you're wicked. Black and white. You see, ultimately it's about a relationship to this God that we're speaking about. And that relationship is determined by your, your, your response and my response to God's directive to us to return to me and I will return to you, as we saw earlier in Malachi. And these righteous people had turned to God. They were in a living relationship with this God. And the wicked, they turned their backs from God. They turned away from Him. They'd rejected His relationship. There's a separation, you see. It is black and white. You either serve God as your master or you reject Him and you don't serve Him. There's the dividing line. Don't believe that lie that you can, that a Christian is someone who goes to church. Someone who does Christian things. Quotes. Someone who goes to things like Bible studies and prayer meetings. Someone who goes to church on Sundays. Someone who doesn't swear. Someone who's a Baptist. You see, being a believer is wider than all these things. It's wider than denominations. It's wider than creeds. It's wider than nationalities. It's wider than human religious organizations. The difference is in obedience and disobedience. That's what our text is saying this morning. Obedience and disobedience. Has your heart been changed? That's the main question that's asked here. If you're obedient and you say you are, has your heart been changed? If you can't get past that question, then you are still living in a state of disobedience. Has your heart been changed from one of sin to one of new life and one wanting to serve God? And that's what I spoke about to the children this morning. You see, the mark of true obedience is a changed heart. And so my question to you this morning is, are you part of that remnant? How will you know if you're part of that remnant? Have you been born again? Secondly, are you obeying God? And do you hold God in high esteem? If you're a believer here today, are you living in obedience before the Lord? Or are you living in constant disobedience before the Lord and you think God won't mind? And I've said this over and over from this text. God does mind sin. He hates sin. And so why should he look past yours? Do you obey God today? And I want to stand on this a little bit. Because in my office I get to do with people who come and speak to me about various issues. And one of the ones that's really increasing is people who say, yes, I believe, but when you look at their lives, it's not a life of belief. It's a life of disobedience. 
And the more you say to someone, but what about this aspect in your life? Oh, no, I'm not going to change that. You see, God says you are to be obedient before me. And it's not obedience that you want in the future. I'd like to be obedient one day. It's what are you doing today? You see, today your words, your actions speak louder than your words. It doesn't help saying you're a believer, but you're not living the life of a believer. How do we know that? Jesus said the following, John 14, 15, already spoken about this morning. If you love me, here's the proof, then you will keep my commandments. And Jesus doesn't give any exclusions there. He doesn't say, well, if you've got a, Christ, if you've got a non-Christian boyfriend and you're a, a Christian, well, I'll close my eyes to that. No, you know what to do before the Lord. Do it. Be obedient before him. That's just one example. Jesus said something else in Matthew chapter 7 verse 16. He says this, of false Christians, you will recognize them by their fruits. What are the fruits that these people will produce? They will be bad fruits. And so it doesn't help saying I'm a believer when your life is showing bad fruit. All you're doing is kidding yourself. We need to look at what our lives are like. That will tell us what our hearts are like. Don't be fooled into that false sense of security by being religious and looking like a Christian and going through the motions, but you know in your heart that it's empty. That worship you bring before the Lord is empty. The thing you must look at is, are you obedient to His Word? Do you actually serve Him? Do you hold His name in awe? I want to end this morning with a a warning from the book of Luke. And I want you to turn there, please. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. The Lord has really laid this on my heart because of things I've been dealing with in older people and younger people. And we see a great drifting away from the faith. Take note today, this can happen to you. Here's God's warning. There is still time. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. But watch yourselves. There's an action point. Keep God on your soul. But watch yourselves. Why? Lest your hearts be weighed down. There's a symptom coming out. With what? With dissipation or carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Have any of those three things been noted in your life? Do you find yourself carousing? Do you find yourself in drunkenness or drawn towards that with friends? Do you find yourself worrying about the cares of this life? There's a danger flag coming up in your life. Watch your soul. Why? And that day... Watch out so that that day doesn't come suddenly on you like a trap. Now look at the next statement. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Are you one who dwells on the face of the whole earth? Yes. And so this day will come upon you. Now here is a directive to us as believers. But stay awake at all times. We are involved in a war. How do we go about staying awake? Here it is. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place 
Whose strength will that be in? In the strength of this God who will gather you to his arms so that you can stand before the Son of Man. Take warning and take encouragement from that verse today. And if your life today is not a life that is obedient to the Lord, then as soon as the service is finished, find a place somewhere or go home and come before the Lord and do work before the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and be part of that remnant before Him. That remnant who can be used now in very unfaithful, in unfaithful times. You see, this is a word to the faithful in faithless times. Are you part of that remnant? One day when those trumpets sound and they are going to be there, men, women and children, some of those who I might have spoken to this morning, will come from north, south, east and west. Those who are the faithful remnant, the true church of God, His precious possessions. They will have their names written, already written in the Lamb's book of life. But the question is, will your name be there? Will you be there amongst us as we see that day? Let's ask God as we come closing prayer, let's ask God for mercy before His throne. Pray with me. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage from the book of Malachi and even though it is written specifically to the nation of Israel, Lord, thank you that the principles in it remain for us still today because that day that is spoken of is still to be. Lord Jesus, you will still come in your glory and on that day you will separate those who love you and those who reject you. And Lord, we pray that for those of us who do not know you, that you will so stir our hearts through this challenge from your word, that we will go from this place and plead with you for mercy to take away our hearts of stone and sin and to give us new hearts that will want to serve you, Almighty God. And for those of us who do believe and who are saved by the precious blood of the Lamb, Lord, help us to live obedient lives before you so that we will honour your name and so that we will be a faithful remnant to those amongst whom we live. Use us, we pray, to your glory. And when Christ, who in your life appears, says Colossians, then you also will appear with him in glory. But until then, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and who will present you faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy as His precious jewel to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the only way, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.